At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is our first week on uh, AM 700 KBYR in Anchorage, Alaska. I've been getting a lot of great feedback from the Alaskans that are listening, including a lot of the polar bears. The polar bears up there are uh, much brighter than you might think that uh, they are. Well, whether you're in Alaska, Baltimore, Nevada, or New York, uh, you are in for a treat because you are about to be struck by a whole bunch of wisdom in the person of Alan Tonelson. Alan Tonelson is one of my favorite policy analysts to speak to. He is a trade expert. He is the founder of Reality Check, which is a blog covering economics, national security, technology, a bunch of other subjects. He's also been an advisor on trade issues to Donald Trump and to Bernie Sanders. Alan, it's great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining me. Frank, it's great to be here. And I got to tell you, it's a real coincidence that uh, that you were playing that John Denver song, because my wife and I have just decided that this coming summer we're going to take a cruise to Alaska. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. You'll, we can't wait. That, we uh, can't you know, wait. My parents went, they had a great time, and uh, they have a bunch of uh, recommendations of folks, that of uh, people, things you should check out while you're there. So I'm yet to hear of a person that hasn't had a, a good experience. Well, I've actually been there once before, about seven or eight years ago. I went to Anchorage on business, basically giving speeches to local organizations, high schools, things like that. Um, I didn't get out that much, and it was still it was still late winter, so it was awfully cold and, and rather hard to travel very far outside Anchorage, but it was still wonderful, and I can't wait to go back. I can imagine. All right. Um, an ABC News Ipsos poll shows that the economy and inflation are the most important issues to about half of Americans voting in this year's midterms election. Now, I've always viewed those issues as, if not the same, at least inexorably linked. But from what you're seeing, what impact do you think those two issues, inflation and the economy, will have on the upcoming elections on Tuesday? From all indications, it looks like they're going to be absolutely decisive to the point at which 
they are likely to greatly outweigh even the widespread outrage among various constituencies about the Supreme Court's decision this past summer striking down Roe versus Wade and striking down national abortion rights. I actually uh, was pretty convinced once that ruling came out that this was going to put Republicans in real trouble, but I greatly underestimated the extent to which the the Biden administration would completely mismanage this economy and completely mismanage inflation and, in fact, try to convince the entire electorate that what their eyes were seeing every day when they went to the grocery store or to the gas station in terms of rising prices just wasn't happening. And clearly that just hasn't worked. Interesting. And uh, just so folks know where you're coming from politically, you identify yourself as uh, as conservative, as liberal. How, how do you characterize your own political views? I think the best term that I've heard for people like me is radical centrist. I really do think there are positions from all over the spectrum um, that are are worth considering and worth following. And I think actually one of the great failures of this country's politics is that we're so siloed into very rigid, very well-defined schools of thought that we've lost the either ability or the interest in trying to learn from each other. And I think that there are a great many new syntheses of U.S. politics that are just waiting out there that would be tremendously popular. But most of our politicians, and this goes for liberals and conservatives and Democrats and Republicans alike, simply haven't uh, woken up to this. I I completely agree with you. And uh, to the extent that I discuss politics and policy on on this program, that's one of the constant themes that I've mm-hmm. been trying to uh, harp on, and I completely agree with Keep you. And it's, and it's, it's, a, it's a big problem. Hey, um, one of the reasons that uh, I was eager to chat with you is because you see through all the nonsense. And in there are certain trends that aren't really trends at all. I'm thinking of uh, the summer of the shark, when they were making a big deal about all these Americans getting eaten by sharks. It turned out that there were no more shark attacks that summer than uh, than in a typical summer. Then um, when there was some, that supposed trend of a whole bunch of uh, Americans going to resorts in places like the Dominican Republic and Putacana, uh, dying from these mysterious illnesses turned out that that was no more of a trend than it usually is um where do you what is the reality versus the perception of inflation and the economy in general is it as actually actually as bad as most voters seem to think it is every piece of data that i've seen and i try to look at as many as the u.s government makes available tells me that inflation is indeed at roughly 40-year highs. And worse, I don't see much reason to think that it's going to be brought down anytime soon at all, at least not to any significant extent, unless, and, and, and this is a really important point here, unless the Federal Reserve decides to jack interest rates up really high, decides to to tighten credit tremendously, and and essentially decides that killing inflation is so important that it's going to throw the economy into a fairly significant recession. Um, aside from that, 
it looks to me like the main sources of U.S. inflation are going to continue to push up prices. And, and here's where we get into a really big misconception about why we have inflation. Um, putting aside the, the admittedly important debate over whether it's mainly oil prices or, or, or whether it's mainly Biden's spending programs, the fact is that, that inflation has been so strong for so long lately precisely because so many Americans still have so much money to spend. And goods and services that are routinely described as being, quote, unaffordable, unquote, really turn out to be quite affordable for for the great majority of consumers and as long as that as that's the case you're going to have companies enjoying pricing power and they're going to exercise it because consumers the vast majority of them can pay and they are paying when, but inflation is an international problem, right? I mean, they're experiencing inflation in Great Britain and uh, in France and Germany, just as we are here in the United States, right? That's true. It is an international problem. But I think one point that is quite conveniently ignored, uh, by especially by folks who think that President Biden has done as good a job as humanly possible in keeping it under control here is that is that indeed so much global inflation is due to high global energy prices but what but what these folks <clears throat> repeatedly forget is that this is a country whose energy market shouldn't be terribly influenced by global energy trends because we should be energy self-sufficient we have been before we can be again and we're, we're being kept from achieving that goal by some really stupid federal policies that have inhibited fossil fuel production. When President Trump was in office, if inflation would tick upward one iota, there was a whole chorus of critics both on the left and on the right rushing to blame the Trump tariffs on China, the Trump tariffs on steel, timber, any other sort of protectionist trade policy that uh, President Trump instituted. Uh, One of the things that rarely gets talked about these days is that many of these Trump tariffs are still in place. Uh, Objectively, have the tariffs that were implemented by President Trump served to be at all inflationary? There is absolutely no way that tariffs, however steep, that were imposed in 2018 and 2019 could be responsible for inflation taking off like crazy in 2021. We have to remember that these tariffs were a one-time price increase. And what happened in the years right after they were put into effect was that because there was inadequate consumer demand as opposed to today, Companies that imported products, mainly from China, but also companies that used foreign steel that that was getting tariffed, they had to eat those uh, cost increases, mm. and they did. And that's and that's largely why these tariffs, even when we even when they were first imposed, had almost no effect on inflation rates, whatever. And whatever effects they did have, were they came to an end within a very few months. 
Uh, talking with Alan Tonelson, you could check out his work at the Reality Check, a terrific blog, which uh, you can just Google Reality Check, uh, C-H-E-K. It comes right up or right. just Google Alan. Uh, exactly. Uh, or just Google <laughs> Alan Tonelson and it comes right up. Uh, last question about the economy, and then I want to get your sit- yeah. take on the Ukraine situation. A lot of folks have said that the best indicator of economic downturn is a Philadelphia baseball team winning the (laughs) World Series. We saw this in 2008. We saw this in 1980. We saw this in 1929, even before that. Are are you concerned? Look, the Phillies won last night. They gave the Astros right. a uh, drubbing. They shut them out. Yeah, mm-hmm. now, now that they're ahead, two games to one, are you concerned that a Phillies World Championship might portend significant economic downturn? I certainly wouldn't rule that. However, I would point out that the Phillies last won the World Series. Uh, well, they last won the World Series in not 2008 or 2009 when the last recession began. I can't even remember when they last won the World Series. Was that like 1982 or no, something it was like that? No, 1980, Schmitt? and then a three-year recession okay, followed. Fair enough. That's, right. Okay, well, that's a really good point, and I, I need to study my Philadelphia baseball history much more carefully. <laughs> you know, Frank, at this point, I don't rule anything out. And why Same the heck here. not, right? Exactly. Hey, uh, we've As seen... they would say back in Philadelphia... Boo. <laughs> We've seen some states, California, for instance, New York, and uh, a few others, those are the two big ones, make legislative moves to move away from fossil fuels. And uh, in fact, by 2030, vehicles in these states are going to have to be electric. What do you see the movement away, the legislative move away from fossil fuels? doing to uh, the economy in the long term and in the short term? It's going to cause tremendous disruptions if it goes through. And I have my doubts precisely because the economic costs in the short and medium terms will be so formidable. And as, as we all should know, there's nothing that will deter politicians from pushing through policies as certainly as high short-term economic costs. So even when it comes to states like New York and California, which and, and the latter certainly has been very determined to push through a so-called green agenda on so many different fronts, um, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine um, – that determination lasting too much longer, precisely because these economic effects uh, will make them truly unaffordable and are also going to um, uh, to be tremendously damaging in terms of employment and um, and certainly going forward with the technology revolution that 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 we're going through with robotics and automation and artificial intelligence, uh, we're going to need all the employment opportunities that create good middle class, as they call family wage jobs, that we can get. And the, the, these green industries, unfortunately, are not capable of actually providing them. One specific example, what nobody talks about is, if we do transition so completely into electronic, 
uh, excuse me, into electric vehicles, that's going to that's going to exact a tremendous toll on jobs because they use many fewer parts than mm. than conventional conven- uh, than conventional conventional combustion engine vehicles. Many fewer parts, and that means many fewer jobs in the enormous U.S. auto parts making industry. Uh, that's very interesting and uh, certainly raises a lot more questions than I think uh, the proponents of this legislation have answered. Let's talk about the Ukraine situation. There was a lot of concern on the part of even people that are supportive of um, standing up against Putin in Ukraine about the amount of money and the amount of weapons that were being sent to Ukraine, which seemed to be unaccounted for. Well, now the U.S. military is conducting on-site inspections of weapons provided to Ukraine, and U.S. military inspectors in Ukraine are going to be there to ostensibly keep further track of weapons and equipment. Do you view this as an escalation of America's role in the Ukraine conflict, or is this simply a matter of the military making sure that the American taxpayers' money isn't wasted? Well, well, certainly... If we are going to send all of these weapons overseas, we do want to make sure that they're accounted for and and used by the folks who who we intend to use them, not only to make sure that U.S. taxpayer dollars are being wisely spent, but to guard as best we can against weapons leakage, because there are no doubt, well, one of the main reasons that these that this new monitoring has gone into effect is that there are many unscrupulous people in Ukraine and Ukraine's neighborhood who would be only too happy to get a hold of advanced weapons like this and sell them to all sorts of bad folks all around the world. So it's not only a matter of ensuring economic efficiency, it's a matter of strengthening national security. How do you view the uh, conflict in uh, Ukraine as having gone so far? Because I do feel like in the mainstream press, there's been two conflicting narratives. On the one hand, we're told the Ukrainian military is showing just incredible determination and they're embarrassing the Russian military every other day. And then uh, in the next news report, I I feel like we're being told, oh, but the United States has to give them another billion dollars here, another billion dollars there and a whole bunch of weapons and If things are going so well, it wouldn't seem that you'd need this constant flow of American money and weaponry. What that tells me and what that should tell everybody is that although the Ukrainian – excuse me, the Ukrainian military with this enormous flow of very advanced Western weaponry has managed to prevent numerically superior Russian forces from – making much greater inroads into Ukrainian territory, uh, still the Ukrainians haven't been able to achieve their stated goal of pushing the Russians out of Ukraine totally. And I don't think they're going to be able to do that in the foreseeable future or, frankly, even farther into the future than that. And that that not only worries me, it absolutely terrifies me because I take very seriously the idea that U.S. policy has been needlessly courting the risks of nuclear war. And I find that completely unconscionable and, like I say, terrifying because 
these risks are being run on behalf of a region or country that has had no strategic importance for the United States, whatever, and that has had no strategic importance for this country for the entire 20th century, for the entire time that Ukraine was under Soviet control. And I can't understand for the life of me what has changed to justify running that terrible, terrible risk. Uh, neither do I. And what would you, if you were advising President Biden or the Pentagon these days, what do you think America's role should be going forward, given what we've seen from the conflict uh, up until this point, knowing America's interests, seeing what the economic uh, impact of this war has been, seeing what the geopolitical impact has been, seeing the human toll of all these people mm-hmm. left homeless and all these people killed on the, both the Russian and Ukrainian side. What do you think we should be doing? The top U.S. priority has to be to eliminate any risk of nuclear conflict breaking out, again, on behalf of a country of no strategic importance to the United States, whatever. And in operational terms, what that means, putting the hammer on Volodymyr Zelensky's government to go to the negotiating table now before it's too late, before that nuclear threshold gets crossed somehow. And there are so many ways in which the conflict could escalate to that nuclear level and therefore draw in U.S. forces, which is the last thing that anybody should want. And quite frankly, the idea that the level of this nuclear risk is anywhere above zero is completely unacceptable and should be resoundingly rejected by the American people and their leaders. It was reported by NBC News on Monday that President Biden had a phone call with the Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, and it got very heated, and it was a very tense exchange, and apparently Biden called Zelensky to relay news that he had secured a billion dollars in defense and humanitarian funding for Ukraine, and Zelensky apparently didn't express an ample amount of gratitude, and then began listing more things that his country needed. Biden, apparently, if the NBC News report is to be believed, then raised his voice and said that the American people were already being very generous. I was very pleased to see this report, and I was thinking, all right, at least somebody is is re- reflecting <laughs> right. the way I feel, which is I feel like the Zelensky folks uh, just keep asking for more, more, and more. I I can certainly understand their desire for more and more and more. I mean, they've suffered, you know, tremendous casualties, tremendous property destruction. The country has been ruined physically. It's It's being ruined economically. Its economy is probably going to shrink by something by something like 30 percent this year. There's horrible privation. Winter is coming. I don't blame them for being very impatient. However, um, I, like you, was very was very pleased to hear at least this report about some degree of 
pushback. Biden backbone, yeah. right, um, because his first duty, as it happens, is not ensuring Ukraine's national security and not giving Ukraine a so-called blank check or even conveying the idea that, that, that it deserves this kind of a blank check, but it is advancing and protecting U.S. national interests. So again, this, this seems to have been one instance, if these reports were actually true, that President Biden actually took an America first uh, position, and I'm glad that he did, if he indeed did. Now, Alan Tonelson, it is always a treat talking with you. Thank you so much for the time. I look forward to our next conversation. Well, me too, Frank. Have a great rest of the show. Thank you. Uh, you can check Alan Tonelson out at his blog, Reality Check, C-H-E-K, and uh, just Google that. comes right up. Uh, if you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. 